0: Dice Company contains fantasy violence, mature themes, and unapologetic bickering. No feelings were hurt in the making of it, but listener discretion is advised. Dice Company will always be free, but it's not free to make. Please consider supporting us on Patreon or Apple Podcasts and get access to our weekly roundtable show Extra Roll. Just follow any of the links in the show notes for this chapter.
1: We're back. Did you miss us? That's right. We have returned from our festive break and we have a new opening sting, a bit of new music, a Patreon, a subscription service, a new show and a heap of plans for the future. Let's kick off with a little bit of housekeeping. First things first, the main campaign will always be free and our main focus remains telling this story. But if you're someone who wants a little bit more of a fix of Dice Company, Or just wants to support us you now have that option available to you and for those who've already subscribed to the sweetheart tier listen to the end of the chapter for the official sweetheart roll call for everyone else don't worry too much we're not going to bombard you with ads or constant reminders because frankly we fear change as much as the next person and we shouldn't forget the more things change the more they stay the same so with all of that out of the way let's take this all the way back to the beginning. Welcome one and all to Dice Company, where a group of old friends weave tales of triumph heroism and despair under the guise of playing Dungeons and Dragons. My name is Tom, and I'll be your DM through the continuing adventures of this truly, truly awful band of singers, in inverted commas. Truly, truly awful band of singers, in inverted commas. Please introduce yourselves and tell the audience one fun fact about your characters.
2: Hi, I'm Alex, and I'm playing Augustus, and... My fact this week is as follows. It has been said that Augustus's family have too much money. This is perhaps best demonstrated by a childhood dispute between Augustus and his sister Aurora. Their mother one year created a complex mystery for them to solve in the summer, and both wanted to win. Each instructed their servants to spy on the other, then bribed the servants of the other to become double agents. To cut a long story short, all the servants were triple agents acting for Augustus's mother, and both children were disqualified from the game. I love it. Obviously, very Augustus.
3: <laughs> I thought the servant. I thought the story is going to end with the servants having so much money they no longer needed to be servants and just leaving the employ of Augustus's family. <laughs> I believe that is the dream of all of Augustus's servants.
4: <laughs> I also question what what kind of mom sets the oh, sorry mother. This is of course Augustus, but what kind of mother sets a deviously complex puzzle for the summer?
2: I meant like a game where they had to solve puzzles and like win some chocolate. You know, Remember, there's no telly or Xbox in this world. So, you know,
3: how are you meant to keep kids occupied on the lengthy holiday period?
2: It's basically jousting or nothing.
4: Did I, did I miss this period of our human history where every summer, children were set fiendishly complex puzzles to solve?
2: I don't want to like tell you how to live your life, but you, you did miss the period when there wasn't TV. Because there was TV when you were born.
5: <laughs> Hang on, how old are you, Al? There has been TV since the 60s. <laughs> I mean, there
4: was TV when
2: all of us were children. I don't mean we are pre-TV. G'day. Don't try and
4: story top me with your, like you were born before the TV exactly. days.
2: I am from the Bronze Age. <laughs> oh, Three and God a half thousand it. years ago, at the height of the Bronze Age. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Hello, my name is Charlie. I play Vander Finnick. So, it being the new year, I have a New Year's resolution. And Vander's resolution is that he will be the group's gastronaut. You see with his new bowl in which he can drink any form of soup, he has vowed to explore the world of soup from the sublime to the truly grotesque. And I'm sure you're all delighted to know that you will be a part of this journey too. So
1: you're welcome. I love that fact.
3: Only a reflection that on the scale of sublime to grotesque, I have fairly confident which end of the scale we're going to be focusing on.
4: He savours every slurp. No comment at this time.
3: Hello, I'm Dave and I play Benny Quez. Uh, New year, new me. I've written down my fact for the first time ever. This adventure has led to lots of firsts for Benny. And here are a few ranked in order of enjoyment. First time ever meeting a Shadow Vanguard. Uh, Benny's had multiple run-ins with Bounders, but never before had the pleasure of meeting one of the Empire's elite Shadow Vanguard. One star, would not recommend. Travelling by boat or airship, which gets you where you want to go, but Benny did find it extremely nauseating. Two stars. Leaving Alfon. This first time Benny has ever been overseas, which has expanded his horizons, but he does sometimes find the food a bit weird. Three stars. Doing magic. Never has Benny done magic before. Very exciting, but returning to your body after inhabiting a raven is a bit like the worst hangover of your life. Still, four stars. And last but not least, being a full-time dog owner. Five stars. No notes.
4: I mean, I'm almost speechless. I I thought the fact was doing quite well with the beginning, new year, new me, and I was already in. But of course, the ratings are absolutely amazing. I think we may have better ratings here than than Tox's rating system.
3: But I do. I, it does
4: lead me to ask a question: Where well, how many stars did Augustus get?
3: They were just selected. Um, selected firsts. Obviously, meeting Augustus very hard to rank that. Kind of pleasure, isn't
4: it? Okay, subtle undertone for the listeners. Not the first time he's met Augustus, otherwise he <gasps> would have had a rating.
3: Yeah, maybe maybe someone can work this into a fact in the future. That... Uh, speaking of
4: ratings, uh, I'm gonna give him a zero because I'm a hard marker. <laughs>
1: <laughs> was a wonderful fact though. <laughs> and I'm gonna step in and say that might be the best fact we've ever had.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> New management. Zero. <laughs> wow, well, I should write stuff down more often, Ralph. Right?
2: <laughs> I loved that fact. It was excellent. But then it was terrible when the dog got five stars and it became unspeakable when there was a kind of weird shade thrown at Augustus in the
3: questioning phase. Five out of five mentioning Lenny. (laughs) In my defense, the dog fact was intended to upset you, but I wasn't in control of the rest of it. In my defence, <laughs> I intended to upset you. It's got to be the most non-affordial thing <laughs> I've ever had. But only, only half, that's all.
2: Also,
4: why, why weren't you in control of the rest of it? Because you, you it started psyching
3: him off about how... Oh, no, yeah,
4: hold my hands up to that. Yeah, I get you. <laughs> Harry to serve.
5: Hi, I'm Harry, and I play TOC, an imposing six foot eight automaton. Tox fact this week is um, directly inspired by Augustus. Tox sword is a copy of the, of the sword that Tick lost during his last stand, hammered into being at the legendary Balefire Forge, smithed by a prodigal student of the Master Dinelli. Whilst described as a longsword due to its size and the profile of the oak shot type 20 blade, it has many atypical features. The grip is sized for a single large automaton hand, the guard has a short esquilum, a large side ring and a knuckle bow. An inlay in the ricasso shines with a bright white light, and
2: when the blade is drawn, it almost hums with magical energy. I like it. Does the sword have a name? Because we met Bardon and his his sword had a name. He did.
5: He did. Uh, Tog hasn't been in the habit of naming things quite in the same way yet, so we shall see if it earns one in time. You have to kill somebody with it first, I guess.
1: It remains unnamed for the rest of time. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It was a very good fact. I feel like I learned stuff. I'm intrigued by finding out about Tick's last stand. I remember we've heard about that and Tick gave his life to protect his sort of offspring. Forget exactly the word you used because I'm not really sure how robots reproduce and I don't really listen evidently
5: to anything anyone says. I'll make that a
2: fun fact next week. (laughs) Well... That's something for all of everyone to look forward to.
1: Ah It's good to be home. Here we go, one and all. It's time for the next chapter of Dice Company. A long time ago, in a cavern far, far below the ground. You lot found yourselves apparently trapped in the abandoned dwarven city of Ferrokir. After a fight with the Shadow Vanguard Tiara, you received a brief respite in the form of a magical feast summoned by the dwarven character of myth, Appa Ungamus. And together with him, you celebrated the Ungamus Festival with food, stories, and. <clears throat> music. Having been trapped in the empty city for three and a half thousand years, Papa Ungamus warned you of a blight, which led to the emergence of shambling zombies who now infest the city. To help him escape, he has asked you to investigate the cause of the blight and stop whatever or whoever is causing it, offering you a rare wish spell as payment. A good night's sleep followed all the food and festivity. You awaken on the day of the solstice, and all signs of Ungamus have vanished leaving you in a cold, damp, empty warehouse. What would you like to do?
3: I uh, stand up and look around, just observing that there's nothing there anymore, and I just say, did that? I didn't dream that, did I? There was a weird old guy, and presents, and food, and stories, and all that sort of thing. That happened, didn't it?
5: I cannot confirm the nature of dreams is unknown and complicated.
3: But do you remember that event?
5: taking place that is confirmed
4: vander rises yes benny i believe that did indeed take place i believe i also have some proof and with that vander takes his bowl and makes a portion of full english soup
3: Vanda, having confirmed that that did happen i've got a headache brought on by millennia old deer's milk and booze please please do not eat that in front of me i'm not sure i can take it
4: vander seems more interested in investigating his new creation but obliges and hobbles a little further away from
5: benny benny would you care for a curative no no
3: no 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 (laughs) no no right what are we doing strikes me gentlemen that we are
4: likely to face the undead which leads me to wonder how best we can equip ourselves to meet such an enemy and i'm wondering if there is any kind of insight i can have in terms of what we might do to protect ourselves. For example, what might the undead be
5: vulnerable to? Mm, good thinking.
3: Obsidian Matrix, got any, uh, any tips?
5: Paladins are normally one of, the, one of the key things they're vulnerable to. Oh, it absolutely
4: screwed. <laughs> we have Augustus. We do.
5: OK, Tok will press the Obsidian Matrix button and ask, Obsidian Matrix, is there any information on the vulnerabilities of the undead creatures and monsters?
1: the now familiar crackle of the Obsidian Matrix bursts into life on your hand or you hear a new voice. My god, I've been fighting the undead for days. These evil creatures risen from the dead by some mad lich. But I have found a good way to deal with them, calling on the holy powers of my god. Smiting them with radiant damage has proved most effective. Anyway, that's enough yapping into this thing. It's time to continue
5: the fight. After all, what is a paladin who doesn't fight?
1: And it crackles
2: again.
5: The Obsidian Matrix had much wisdom on the subject.
2: Didn't it just?
3: Mm, Very sound advice, I thought.
2: Augustus sighs wearily and gives no reply.
4: I must say I was intrigued by Papa Ungamus' mention of the gift of a spell. It struck me that that had... Great power, and it would be worth our while to fulfill the quest which he outlined to us.
5: I would find that to be acceptable, especially as it is tied to us gaining escape from this city.
3: Agreed. I don't see that we got a load of options. Although I have to admit, I'm not 100% convinced I trust Old Paparungamus. I mean, he seemed alright, didn't he? But, I mean, can you really trust anyone who's been trapped inside a cave for 3,500 years? Seems like plenty of time to develop schemes and scams but maybe we've got a nasty suspicious mind. But nonetheless, like I say, what else are we going to do? Maybe it's time to um, get that gift he gave you Augustus.
5: You received a candle with magical properties of directing you to exits in case you wish to flee.
2: Quite right, and Augustus produces said candle which I don't think is in my inventory because I don't know how to put stuff in my inventory. But I take the candle out, and do I have to light it, or does it always—is it always lit? I have to light it. Just light, I light it with a normal match.
4: Is that like a D&D player saying he doesn't know how to use his pockets?
5: It's like someone saying they want to take an observation check to find a chair. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: that's,
2: <woo! laughs> that's right, Harry.
4: <laughs> and Vanda gets back in his box.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you can use this candle for one hour every long rest, and it will flick—it flickers blue and in the direction of the nearest escape or exit from your current location.
2: And when you say one hour, does that mean I can only use it like once it's lit? Do I have to use it all at once, or can I use it lots of little times? You can... you can... <laughs> hmm... interesting. Uh, if I promise only to use it, say, thrice, can we say, like, we use lighting it uses 20 minutes or something? Yeah, let's do that. Well, gentlemen, perhaps before we use this the precious gift that is this candle, perhaps earlier than we may need to, we should investigate what we can see with our eyes and hear with our ears. Papa Ungamus suggested there were undead all around and that they would approach when he was absent. So at the risk of putting us into a situation none of us want to be in, shall we open the door and look outside?
3: Before we do that, one other cheerful thought that struck me. But if Papa Ungamus is right and there's no getting out, That means Tiara is still in here too, so we're going to need to keep an eye out for her.
2: Very wise Benny, well thought. Uh,
5: Tok will reach into his pack, (laughs) take out the uh, cat totem
3: (laughs) and take a look
5: through it.
1: Uh, You look around the warehouse that you're in and there are no signs of any invisible creatures.
5: Tok's going to keep that on a pouch on his belt just in case he needs to take it out. All the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Top, as an aside, I feel I might be able to suggest a modification to the cat totem. Now may not be the time, perhaps, but perhaps you and I could revisit this subject when we're in a less zombie-infested plague cave. I would find your contribution. Welcome.
4: I will ready the stagecoach in case what we find on the other side of this door is most unpleasant.
2: And Vanda makes his way to the stagecoach. Augustus grabs Vanda by the shoulder and says, Vander, Always check the back seat. Vander nods. Is the
5: stagecoach currently got, um, is is it currently got its its normal wooden wheels on it or the metal wheels for going on rails?
1: Metal wheels on rails.
5: Are we beyond the rails, sort of like section of the city or is that very much still a thing?
1: The rails continue all the way into
2: the city as far as as Missy has told you. Augustus will uh, feed and tend to the horses because he has seen many servants do that and he knows exactly what to do. I think it's mostly about brushing them. Give me an animal handling check. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Doc will guide you. Yeah, tell me how that's happening. The food goes in
5: this end, Augustus. Out that end, the food emerges once it has been
2: digested. Okay, we've avoided suppository gate, I guess. With the, with the guidance, that is 16.
1: Very nice. Following your memories of how stable hands used to deal with horses, uh, you stroke them, pet them, and feed them, following Tox's incredibly useful guidance. And the horses respond really positively and actually are quite affectionate towards you.
2: I mean, to be fair, I think they would have responded strongly negatively if I hadn't taken Tox's advice on that one. <laughs> <laughs>
5: hey, I would suggest using Missy the Raven to check outside before
3: opening the doors. Very wise, talk. I shall do exactly that.
1: Uh, can I have the very first roll on the very special Missy Perception Table? Eight. Uh, the gloom juxtaposed with the bright rivers of lava make it quite difficult for Missy to gain an understanding of what is a safe direction for you to travel in. She is able to look directly outside of the warehouse that you are in, and it appears safe.
3: Well, don't look like there's anything in the immediate surroundings. So I reckon we're good to go.
4: Vanda stands patiently by the side of the stagecoach.
3: So I sort of stand by the door, as if making as if to uh, to open it, and I say, "Right, ready."
5: I may
4: need a hand up.
5: Tok will, as ever, offer assistance for Vanda, and I take my
3: position. With that, I heave the door open,
1: and it opens with a creak.
5: I'm on the cards. Talk and take. will again will go on the step at the back of
3: the coach i lead the stagecoach out but slowly and i i hop in as it rolls by me
1: look at you guys working as sort of a team it's lovely
3: absolute relief i didn't have any rolls to either of those simple (laughs) tasks
1: then he disappears under the wheels yeah You leave the empty warehouse, heading further into the abandoned dwarven city of Ferrokir, the clopping hooves echoing in the caverns as you roll forward. Alex, can you give me a survival check? Oh dear. And Harry, can you roll a d20 for me?
2: Okay, so survival 11, and Toc rolled an 8.
1: Okay, as you make your way through the city of Verokir, the day's travel is relatively uneventful, allowing you to make decent time as you head further in. There are various bits of debris along the way that you have to stop to clear off of the tracks to allow you to keep moving, but with Missy overhead, you're able to keep a keen eye on everything and make sure that you don't get ambushed or set upon by any creatures. As you reach the outskirts of the industrial section of the city, the track splits in three.
4: Gentlemen, I appear to be at a fork in the tracks.
2: The paladin emerges from his comfortable position in the cart and strikes a match on a rough part of his boot and lights the magical candle which is going to tell us which way the exit and hope that it's not going to show us back the way we've come.
1: Uh, You do strike the the match and light the candle which flickers with a blue flame. Almost immediately the blue flame begins to unnaturally move towards the left following the left-hand track that you are on. Vander dutifully directs the horses in that direction.
2: And Augustus disappears back into the carriage, his work done. The going is
1: slow but steady. There is a dark gloom around the city as you move through it. And occasionally you stop as you hear the sounds of strange beasts or creatures creaking and bubbling of lava. But again, nothing stops you. Nothing ambushes you. Nothing causes you any consternation. You find yourself having travelled for the full day, eight hours, as tiredness begins to overcome you.
4: I'm going to start looking around for a place that might offer some level of protection. You know, so when we stop, we have... You know, like another warehouse or what What can I find?
1: Give me a survival check,
2: please. Is there a pub called the Winchester here
1: by any chance? I rolled a 12. Around 30 to 40 feet to the east of the track that you're currently on is an abandoned house. Uh, the roof does appear to be missing, but there is good structural integrity to the walls. This looks like a fairly safe space where you could make camp and stop for the night.
4: Gentlemen, I believe I found somewhere it we might rest until, I wouldn't say the next day breaks, but until we are ready to travel on again.
2: Augustus climbs down. I guess we maybe leave, maybe leave Vander and Benny on the car. I'm just thinking we need to be able to make a quick getaway. Maybe me and Tok, maybe Augustus and Tok go and poke around to at least make sure the building is zombie free. I would find that to be acceptable
5: um, are there any large like
2: holes in the building
1: other than there being no roof to it and there being no front door any attacks would likely come from above or through the front door
2: okay so augustus gets his rapier and shield out and his drift globe and sends the drift globe in through the open doorway and you know he and tock
5: yep tock and tick will plank blank
2: augustus and obviously keeping an eye sort of on the sides and the back and obviously benny and vander hopefully covering us to make our way into the building checking that it's empty i'm i'm doing a sweep it is a
1: singular room with the big open door uh, you're able to look cast your eyes in and you can see that there are no creatures in there it's not a massive house but it's big enough for you all to camp
2: in i pointlessly give like a code whistle to tell everyone the coast is clear uh, just cuz it's that's quite cool point two fingers in a sort of theatrical navy seal kind of way, to send Toc back to the cart so everyone they can come.
5: Toc just looks very confused at Eve for a while. <laughs>
2: Augustus winks at Toc.
5: Augustus, shall we return to tell them it is safe? A fine idea, Toc.
1: Just so we're clear, you guys can hear this conversation like clearly. They're thirty feet away. This is not it's not like they're miles away. Vanda pulls the handbrake.
5: <laughs> Toc returns to the door and says, Augustus wishes to inform you it is safe in this building.
3: Yeah, we'd work that out by ourselves. Thanks, Doc. Banda's
4: already waiting for a hand down.
3: (laughs) Shall we carry the horses inside? We could probably just lead them inside. Maybe carrying might might be over the top.
4: On the plus side, I think any zombies looking in on this are are probably going to make the decision that it's not really fair to have a go at this team. We're going to kill ourselves at some point.
3: (laughs) Is it worth blocking the doorway with a cart just to make an extra obstacle if anyone tries to come through?
4: I would rather the cart be in a position to move off quickly should we wish to make an escape from this place.
3: Yeah, fair enough.
5: Would not the horses need to be reattached? We
4: can cross that bridge when we come to it, says Vanda, still looking like he needs someone to help him down.
5: Toc will go over and lift Vanda down, whilst also saying to him, Vanda, there does not appear to be a bridge.
4: Vanda doesn't respond, but Bellerophon does, and Toc gets a lick. <laughs>
2: I think Benny makes an excellent point. Although we perhaps cannot move the cart in front of the house door, maybe we can make some sort of barricade that we could easily remove should we need to get out. Uh, And then Augustus is looking around for like planks of wood, Uh, anything else that looks like it would make good kind of cover that we can cover the door, but also obviously not like brick ourselves up inside. Cool, give me an investigation check, please. Uh, 15 for investigation for Augustus
1: very nice Augustus begins to investigate the area uh, trying to find some bits of wood or things that can be used to blockade and it doesn't take long the city is old and desolate but there are definitely there's there's debris strewn everywhere, and it doesn't take you that long to find pieces of plywood and uh, bits of stone that could be moved in to kind of create a very rough
5: barrier. Good grief, the dwarfs have plywood.
1: As I said that, I thought that's probably a very specific type of wood that Harry's going to have a pop
2: up for. Do
5: they have balsa
2: wood?
3: They have MDF.
2: I sellotape some lino over the doorway. Oh, fuck you all. <laughs>
5: Tock and tick will help Augustus carry any particularly like heavy bits of rubble or whatever we're going to use to block the door.
2: That's fine. So I think we stack to like halfway and then maybe lean a bit, a bigger bit of wood over the kind of top half so that we can easily push it aside. But it will, you know, then if we've got a fire lit, we're not attracting too much attention. Obviously, there's no roof, so we don't have to worry about smoke in the house. And also any odd odds and sods of wood we find, especially plywood, which is excellent firelighter. <laughs> While we're doing it. Uh, I'll keep for a fire.
5: Excellent work, Augustus. You have done this before.
2: Yes, chapter two or three, I believe, Tok. Metagaming. Uh, back in the woods near Lunadine, talk. I do recall. I was a wonderful survivalist and indeed we all survived. So well done me. Indeed. So you have successfully demi barricaded
1: yourself within this abandoned house. Have led the horses inside into the veritable safety of this place.
2: Augustus will light a fire middle of the room if safe. Obviously, not if the wood's made, it, not if the floor is made of wood. Uh, but if there's a safe place to do a fire, uh, and also set about, you know, cooking some supplies and that kind of stuff.
5: So obviously, the light from a fire is going to shine on the, the roof above us. But if this place is presumably filled with like lava and things, then. Then that's not gonna to be too uncommon.
2: We we literally just rode a stagecoach through the middle of town as well.
4: With a blue light shining like a lantern. <laughs> in a western,
2: that's how you announce yourself as being new in town, isn't it?
4: I think in a city
2: of the dead, <laughs> I feel like we we fairly announced ourselves. Yeah, we haven't we haven't flown in quiet, have we? No. <laughs>
1: Charlie, can you give me an
4: investigation check, please? Uh, So it's a 16 plus investigation, so a 21.
1: Solid. You're not kidding. As you're sat by the campfire with Bellerathon on your shoulder, occasionally licking your mask, you look across the light caused by the campfire on the debris-strewn floor of the abandoned house that you're in, and something catches your eye. It's the corner of a brown leather book
4: I look with interest at the brown leather book. Uh, can I get a rough idea of size? It's quite small,
1: but it looks like journal size to you.
4: Okay, so I whisper to Bellerathon, who scampers over and then suckers it with his tongue and then begins to drag it back in my direction.
1: The rest of you watching see the most over-the-top <laughs> dramatic display of a tiny chameleon dragging an old journal through a debris-strewn floor. It takes... Probably a good like six minutes for it to make the very short distance back <laughs> to no where Vander
0: is.
3: It's so unnecessary. And deposits it on your lap. So, will you be trying to do that secretly, Vander?
4: No, no. Bellerophon likes to be useful. Mm. Good Bellerophon. And Vander uh, begins to peruse the text.
1: Quick skim reveals that this is a journal belonging to a miner called Rimir Skullswing. It just charts the day-to-day life of Dwarven miner in the city. It's fairly mundane. Uh, the last few pages of the diary, however, begin to show a distrust that Remir had of a traveller from the depths. Remir refers to him as an untrustworthy Durugnal sort, who has charmed the Elders with promises of riches if they just keep digging. The journal highlights the discovery of a vein of mithril, and then stops
4: abruptly afterwards. I read with interest, and then regale the group with the account highlighting the part about digging too deep and too greedily.
5: I have heard of this mithril. It is a component in many magical items.
4: Are you aware, Tok, of there being a guardian of such rare materials?
5: Not in my knowledge. Tok will press the obsidian matrix button and will ask her, Obsidian Matrix, are there any stories of Dwarves digging too deep.
1: There is a crackle as the Obsidian Matrix comes to life, and there is a somewhat familiar, rather posh voice that you heard a few weeks ago. Life perpetuates itself through diversity, and this includes the ability to sacrifice itself when necessary. Creatures repeat the process of creation and degeneration until one day they die, obliterating an entire set of memory and information in the process. Only bloodlines remain. Why continually repeat this cycle? Well, simply to survive by
3: avoiding the weaknesses of an unchanging system. Say so it's like listening to Vanda sometimes, isn't it, that Matrix?
4: Vanda blithely skirts over that comment. There is another way of interpreting this account. It strikes me that it speaks of a stranger, a Durignal. Someone maybe who offered dark advice, which led to the downfall of the people who lived here once. Durignal, if I remember correctly, referred to beardless. Indeed. Or elf. Intriguing. And Vander considers...
3: I hope you're not thinking about going and finding this mithril. It would be a powerful boon. We've just read a story about how they tried to find the mithril and everyone got turned into zombies. I do rather agree
2: with Benny on this point. Feels like a a fairy tale is often a fairly heavy-handed morality tale. In this case, it feels even more direct. There was a dangerous thing, they did it. They turned into zombies, they didn't get the prize.
5: That was 3,500 years ago. What creature could survive such an abyss of time?
4: Who did survive the Bronze Age? Metagaming!
2: Does the, does the DM throw a yellow flag when someone gets caught metagaming and they have to go back five yards? Please continue. Tok, I cannot say how long a zombie lives, but possibly 3,500 years is within the scope of their, I don't want to say lifespan, existence span. So, And also, whatever turned them into zombies, according to Papa Ungamus, who I agree was not necessarily a reliable witness, but nonetheless, we must take his warning at least half seriously, seems... Danger lies ahead if we go searching for minerals.
5: Indeed, this may be the source of the blight. Possibly we should seek it out. It is understandable if you are afraid, Augustus.
2: I wouldn't say afraid, Toc. I would say sensibly cautious. Gentlemen, it strikes me that we
4: are on a track of sorts. A path in which the candle lights the way. We can only listen to the tidbits that we pick up and hope that we can put them together at the relevant moment to avoid the deaths that almost certainly await us in the dark, cold recesses of our situation.
3: And on that note, it's bedtime. Sweet dreams, everyone. <laughs> Bloody hell, Vanda. And Vanda goes nearly instantly to sleep. <laughs> Anyway, we need to set up a watch. Looks like Vanda's not going first, doesn't it?
5: So we've obviously blocked up the door. Uh, are there any windows or and or a way of climbing up above the wall so you can have a, you know, there's no roof.
1: So there are no windows and the the wall is about 12 feet high. So it, it would be scalable by some creatures.
5: Do we have a rope or climbing gear?
2: Or could Augustus stand on Tick's shoulders? Because Tick can just stand there, right? Tick's like, six foot nine or something an Augustus on top of a tick I'd be able to stick my head out the top and see what's going on overnight I was gonna say this is the night watch is it (laughs) yeah but you just stand you stand there on watch till your watch is over and then hop down someone else have a go
3: I've got a (laughs) rope (laughs) answer to your question
2: how do you rope yourself to the top of a wall like what, you sit on top of the wall? or I mean, you're going to hold onto a rope? Have you ever tried hanging onto a rope for six hours?
5: <laughs> I mean, actually, the standing on top of uh, Tick uh, idea is not necessarily awful. Um, Tick also doesn't need to sleep, so he can um, he can keep watch the entire time.
2: Maybe let's do that. Just stick, get Tick to stick his head out through either a window or through, you know, through like a gap near the door and...
5: So, actually, yeah, Tok will go and stand by the side of the wall and help uh, Tick climb up onto his shoulders. And presumably, it's twelve feet; he should be able to just poke his head above the wall.
1: I mean, yeah, it's it's over thirteen feet, the two of you, isn't it? So
5: it's not dignified, but it works.
1: <laughs> so the rest of you basically bed down while, with the sight of Tok stood facing a wall with Tick stood on his shoulders, peering over the top of the wall.
2: Uh, Augustus gets up with a little bit of charcoal from the fire and draws a little picture for Tok to look at so he doesn't get bored. Harry, can I have a d20 roll, please?
5: Uh, I rolled a 15 on whatever mysterious chart or table you have.
1: The evening passes without incident and you all get a good night's rest. so you awaken the following morning those of you who slept it was a peaceful night's sleep the embers of the the embers of the campfire have finally gone out and you can move on if you wish um can everyone please remove one day's rations from their inventory uh, not you talk obviously you don't eat
5: tick climbs down off talk in the corner of the warehouse before we leave Tick and Tok will have a quick look around on the floor just to double check there aren't any tourmaline stones lying around in the warehouse at some point we've got to go to a place that has those
1: find nothing of note obviously they, the place has been fairly thoroughly investigated by Vander
5: so do we um, push onward for lack like, of a better idea indeed we should reattach the horses um, Tick and Tok will go dismantle the door and clear it for everyone to walk through
1: uh, you, you do so it does not take you long to remove the debris and everything to clear it out to allow you free access to get back to the stagecoach, which remains exactly as you left it the night before.
5: Okay, Top and Tick will sort like stand guard and uh, keep watch whilst they all manhandle the horses.
3: I clamber in to the carriage. I say, is anyone else feeling slightly unnerved by the fact that now it's happened? I almost wish, I was going to say, I almost wish something would attack. I think I might take that back, but you know what I mean.
2: It's certainly strange, Benny. It's unnerving, all the silence and emptiness here. If the silence
5: is worrying, Augustus, we could make noise. It would seem
2: ill-advised. Yes, I agree, Tok. It would not be well-advised, but I agree with Benny. Perhaps it's a human thing. We would almost rather have the battle with whatever lies out there waiting for us, rather than all this anticipation. But perhaps we will pass through unscathed. Let us at least try.
4: Another day on the road, says Vander, as he G's the horses up to begin their march into the darkness.
5: Is there like a slope at all to the floor or is it fairly flat at this point?
1: Uh, where you currently are it's fairly flat, but there there have definitely been slopes as you've been moving along, up and down.
5: We should try and like find out if there are any like mines. I don't know if the mines would have those big like um if they're any like big like elevators with cables and stuff to keep uh, an eye out for but if they're going to mine deep then presumably there'd be mine shafts going going down they're, they're probably not just like exposed so
1: where you guys currently are you've you've moved through what was sort of the industrial district of the city where there was lots of loading and warehouses and things like that and you're heading towards what is far more noticeable as an actual city Uh, so there's less and less kind of mining equipment ahead of you this this looks like a place where people lived and went about their daily lives and you know that there isn't any kind of immediate mining in the area ahead of you that you can see
5: was there any evidence of mining in the area we've been through as in actual tunnelling mining.
1: There were. When you first came in, obviously, there was a lot of carved out rock, obviously, as they'd been mining. Um, And as you look far into the distance, you can see huge channels that have been cut into the cliff faces ahead of you. So far away that it's quite murky and it's difficult to get any kind of real view on that. But it looks like the city has potentially grown forward and as it's moved, it's kind of followed the path of the mining. So the mining would be ahead of you rather than behind you.
5: Tok will... At some point attract the attention of Vanda and uh say um, perhaps we should search for an administrative building that may have maps or information about mining activity
1: i'll keep my eye peeled can i have a survival check from charlie 19 for Vanda. a d20 from alex 15 from augustus and a d20 from shaggy
3: 15 for benny
1: Benny, you begin communicating with Missy as she swoops overhead and she seems to have found a fairly clear path forward which allows you to avoid any potential mishaps or pitfall in the journey ahead of you increasing your movement speed for the day ahead Vander... After hearing about the path ahead from Benny, um, you notice that there is a run of unimpeded tracks with quite a bit of downhill trajectory ahead of you, suggesting a great day's travel. Missy continues to scout ahead, allowing you, the three of you to work as a team in order to improve the amount of distance you can make in a short amount of time. Vander says, we're on a road
4: trip, boys, as he G's the horses to go faster than the quite awesome
3: downhill. That's Benny and Augustus sitting next to one another in the stagecoach. Benny says, I wonder Augustus, would this be a good time to let us know what exactly was meant when you were introduced as the first son of Dnothnia? An interesting question, Benny.
2: I would have thought it was
3: rather obvious. Not uh, Not to commoners like me, Augustus.
2: Well, for anyone who was unable to grasp the facts merely from my aristocratic bearing and excellent manners, not to mention the fine clothes. It means, Benny, that I am the oldest son of the first family of Donothia, so to speak.
3: I see. And so, you seem somewhat keen on overturning the Empire, which would put you in charge? Well, Benny, the
2: situation is somewhat more complicated, because, as you will be aware, the Ten Realms of Kantioc were cast apart when the war with Salazar was lost. So the first thing would be to unite those, and indeed the king who ruled at the time of that fall was not from Donothia, the kings having come from different realms over time. But it was possible at that time that my father could have become the next king had the kingdom persisted. And I suppose taking all those caveats and possibilities into account, I could perhaps have been
3: in line to be the king, yes. Interesting. So if we were putting percentages on it, what percentage of your um, newfound heroism is, is based on a wonderful altruistic spirit and what percentage of it is based on you wanting to be boss of everyone?
2: I refer you, Benny, to the words of my oath.
3: I've been wondering about the words of that oath, having learned this first son of D'Onofria information.
2: Well, the words of the oath, Benny, were that my role here was to free the people of this continent from the Empire and not to assume control of it. I believe I was very clear on that point. And indeed, to break my oath could come at a great personal cost, could it not? An oath is a form of agreement with a god, and therefore to break the oath would make an enemy of a god. And I am, despite the fine clothes, a mortal man.
3: True. But there's other gods you can always align yourself with. All I'm saying, Augustus, all I'm saying is if I wanted to get people on side and then take over, that's exactly the kind of oath that I would attack him. Anyway, it's just interesting, that's all.
2: It's certainly different, Benny, but let me speak more plainly, since I feel we're in danger of having a rather vander conversation here. I am here, first and foremost, to find, and if I can, rescue my sister. Oh. I would love to live up to the words of the oath. But I cannot deny that my, my guiding desire in this continent, a place I did not, I must confess, particularly want to visit or find myself stuck in, is to bring her home. And if in doing that we can topple this foul empire, then all the better. I have no intention of sitting on Salazar's throne.
3: Well, that is more news and lots of it. <laughs> Where's your sister then? What's happened to her?
2: That is the question, Benny. I do not know. Only that she came here several years before me and nothing has been heard of her since she left our shores.
3: I see. I have to admit, Augustus, I'm a, I'm a little bit taken aback because I was fully expecting just to be fobbed off in this conversation. I'm really sorry to hear about your sister, but, you know, you can you didn't need to wait so long to tell us this stuff. We could maybe help you out if, uh, if you let us know what you need. Well, Benny, perhaps I can say that I delayed
2: because I... Would only give this intimate information to someone that i trust
3: oh. and with that benny goes rather quiet for a while
2: and with that the
4: slot that connects the driver section of the stagecoach and the main section of the stagecoach slides back and vander shouts in
5: you see how fast we're going boys Whoa!
2: <laughs> <laughs> there's a big hole in the roof If you recall, you blasted (laughs) it. Oh yeah, so Tom can probably hear this as
5: well, then.
1: (laughs) Moving quickly through Verokeer, the dull glow from the churning lava casting an eerie light over the deserted structures of various abandoned warehouses, you reach the entrance to the city proper. Huge walls stand before you and two massive double doors are wide open and the tracks run directly through the middle.
4: Vanda begins to slow the stagecoach with no small amount of sadness, but on the plus side, this does allow Bellerophon whose tongue has been stuck to his own eye due to the speed to retract it properly into his mouth.
5: As we go through the archway, uh, Tok and Dick are going to um, ready their swords and shields and keep an especially close eye out on anything dropping on us or hiding behind the sides of the archway and ambushing us.
4: And Vander bangs on the top of the coach twice.
5: Ready up, boys.
1: Harry, roll me a d20, please.
5: I have rolled a seven.
1: As you slowly and carefully, with weapons drawn, make your way through the great open double doors to the main city of vero you hear a noise to the west. A little over 60 feet in that direction, you see the Leonine body of the same manticore you saw at the entrance. Its leathery wings are pinned back, and its head appears to be eating something on the ground. It has yet to notice your arrival.
4: Vander's moving the stagecoach quite slowly through this section as a kind of discreet movement, if you will, to give us time to decide whether we're, we're engaging or not. Gentlemen, if you look to your left, you will see a rather daunting manticore savaging what is presumably
1: its prey. Stealth check, please, Vanda.
5: Damn it. Uh Toc's gonna take out a small a series of small pebbles from his pouch and uh, uh, sort of prepare them with an oil pass one to tick.
1: That is a stealth check of eight. The creature's head twists suddenly as it looks in your direction. Decision time, Vander. Are you staying or going? You have control of the stagecoach.
4: Vander pulls the handbrake. The Manticore pelts are very
1: valuable, I understand. The Manticore looks up and roars in your direction. Roll initiative.
3: 19 for Tok. 17 for Benny.
4: 16 for Vanda.
1: 11 for Augustus.
3: Tok, top of
1: the round.
5: Tok
3: is going to uh,
5: firstly move forwards to um, protect the rest of the group, and both Tok and Tik, as they stride forwards, are going to take the slightly glowing uh, pebbles that uh, Tok prepared earlier, as they were going through the archway, and uh, throw them at the manticore, both of which travel slightly faster than would seem reasonable considering how how hard they threw them. For the GM, he's using a magic stone.
2: Are we buttering kiwis again here?
5: Indeed. They're well well buttered today. (laughs) Tok rolled a 21 to hit, and Tick rolled a 23 to hit
1: both hits. Please roll for damage.
5: Okay. Uh, Tox, magic stone, uh, hit sixth and, uh, stone hit for 6th bludgeoning damage and Tick's stone hit for 10. Tick being a little bit of a better shot.
1: Clearly. More experienced. Uh, the rest of you watch as Tock and Tick move forward, grasping their hands around what appears to be just glowing pebbles, similar in shape and size to the dog biscuit pebbles that you've seen in the past. Uh, only this time, with their arms swinging with a big wind-up they throw both stones directly at the manticore. The stones hiss the hide of the manticore as it roars in pain, uh, blood trickling onto its very pelt. Very nice tock and tick.
3: Benny? I am going to shoot an arrow at the manticore. Ah, that is seven.
1: That does not. Is that a natural one?
3: That is a natural one, yeah.
1: Okay. So following talk and tick's lead, Benny slinks off of the stagecoach, knocks an arrow aims true and the arrow goes almost sideways out of his bow skittering away into the darkness hitting absolutely nothing
5: it is okay benny we cannot all be
3: competent with ranged weapons <laughs> <laughs> and i'm gonna need to go behind this detritus to the north so i've got a bit of cover Smart.
4: vander vander is gonna shamble forward but just slightly and he is going to cast Mine spike
5: Ah, hello, old friend. That manticore better be worried about its uh, childhood birthdays.
2: I think it could be more training talk. Let's see what happens.
4: Oh, dear.
1: Uh, I've rolled a six
4: plus a seven, so that is a
5: 13 for Panda. Which
1: misses, unfortunately.
4: Lucky for the manticore, that could have been Grim.
5: So its armor is somewhere between 20 <laughs> and, uh, and 14.
1: It is the manticore's turn the manticle's leathery wings unfurl as it roars again and takes flight oh landing just in front of tock it lets out yet another roar before charging into combat but it has exhausted its movement to get there so cannot do an attack
2: Ah, oh, wonderful almost like i planned that augustus I'm going to go there and attack the rapier because that is my role in life. Uh, so that is a 13 and that's going to miss, isn't it? Because we've just discovered it's at least 14. So
1: Augustus charges into combat, draws his rapier and swings at the manticore, which definitely moves out of the range of the attack.
2: Barely an experienced duelist. As a bonus action, I am going to cast Shield of Faith on Tok, Um and that means a shimmering field appears and surrounds a creature of your choice within range, granting it a plus two bonus to AC for the duration. So I think Toc is the main target of the Manticore at this time. Toc, back to the top of the round. Ah, do I just attack it or do do really something silly? I mean silly, hundred <laughs> percent. Dance off.
5: Tok is going to use his movement to circle around the back of the manticore whilst it is busy dodging Augustus's rapier. Tick will move around behind him as well. So Tok is going to use his magical sword to slash at the legs, the back legs of the manticore. That is a 16 to hit. Is a hit. Please roll for damage. Ah, amazing. So it is 11 damage to the manticore. Uh, and Tick behind him is going to throw another magic stone at the back of the um, manticore. Okay, what with the target right at the
2: back? Uh, <laughs> the attack is the old suppository stone.
5: Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how he does. Okay, so he gets a 25 to hit. It's a
1: hit, please roll for damage.
5: Does 10 bludgeoning damage.
1: Wowza. So the two automatons move in synchronized format, sweeping around to flank the poor manticore. Tog draws his sword and begins to hack at the back legs of the creature while Tick throws another glowing stone directly into its posterior, causing a whimper of pain. The creature looks quite unwell. Benny?
3: Um, I decide to reach into my quiver for a poison arrow and have a shot at the manticore with a sneak attack.
1: Of course. Roll at advantage, please.
3: Woo! That is a natural 20 for uh, 26 total. Ah, nice. Yeah, it,
1: it is obviously a hit. <laughs> this thing is not the Terminator, so, yep, natural 20 with 26 total does hit.
3: 16 in total from the sneak attacks so 26 total damage.
1: Ah,
5: rogues get gribbly when they, uh, yeah.
1: My word, so Benny from hidden behind the debris pulls an arrow back in his bow and fires it and if you can imagine like there's a camera on the arrow as it zooms directly through the air missing tick and tock and finding a spot directly in the back of the creature the back th- sags and the creature falls down lower um it looks like so very close to death but still standing just uh, and it needs to do a constitution saving throw
3: and then a dexterity saving
1: throw. Uh, so that's 19 for the constitution saving throw.
3: That'll do.
1: 14 dexterity. Uh, so that is a failed. Having sagged to the floor, the creature appears to be pinned in the middle as it writhes, desperately trying to attack, surrounded on all sides, bloody and brutally battered.
5: If only there was someone here to steal the kill.
1: And even worse for it, Vander, it is your turn.
4: Vander continues to shamble forward places his hand against his temple a second time and again casts mind spike for a natural 20 which makes a 27 which hits please roll for
3: damage I'm not sure I like this mentoc's chances oh <laughs> oh dear
4: i have rolled a two uh, but again as ever mind spike targets particular parts um and uh, you know that feeling if you've been roller skating too long and you stop and you still feel like the words just the world's slightly moving
3: oh is this is this gonna be enough it's too gonna do it
4: if it does he goes down with a very slight sense of motion sickness <laughs>
1: <laughs> with a very slight sense oh. of motion sickness the manticore slumps unmoving to the floor dead.
3: Oh, my God. (laughs) Absolutely wrong.
4: Uh, Vanda strides
1: forward triumphantly.
5: Well, I mean, none of us know that that happened. It was invisible. (laughs) All we saw was an arrow striking it in the back, pinning it to the ground. That is unbelievable. Delayed response.
4: The kill list sees all. Vanders now made his way to the side of the manticore. I understand that... uh, manticore pelts are extraordinarily valuable i suppose we will need to skin it
5: indeed do you possess expertise in this activity
4: i'm afraid i would be no better than the next
1: man is there anyone in the group who knows something of the art
5: in which case tark will volunteer
1: you can have two of you doing it if you'd like to do it at advantage providing the other person helping has higher than a 10 baseline of the uh prerequisite skill.
5: Tox
3: got a plus seven to nature. I got a plus four, if that's any use. Well, he can definitely assist. Yeah, I could, um, I was hoping to get my hands on a manticore mane.
5: We have a blueprint for a cloak of wonder, a magical item that requires a manticore mane as its ingredient. That's the one. Tox says as he's advancing on the manticore with a scalpel in each hand.
1: From a manticore, you can remove its teeth, its hide and its wings i need a separate check for each of them and each has its own dc
5: uh okay but the main is the important one for the cloak of wonder so Tok's gonna go for that one first uh and he is also going to guide himself
1: no. because he
5: has access to the blueprint so he knows exactly what areas he needs to skin Tock rolls a 19.
1: With scary precision, Toc, equipped with two scalpels begins to very quickly move his hands around the remains of the poor manticore while Benny stands over and almost in a Dr. Sigmund, Sigmund-like voice instructs him on what to do. Uh, you are successfully able to remove the manticore mane uh, and its hide amazing and be used for the same thing if you would like to attempt to remove its teeth or its wings you may do so now
5: uh do we have any idea what they would be useful for or just that they'd be valuable
1: uh so teeth are good for making serrated edges for blades or if you want to have a decoration like a nice necklace or something like that manticore teeth pretty good for that um the manticore wings can be used for making a manticore cloak but you need to find the blueprints for that
5: in for a gruesome penny in for a gruesome pound uh, uh a uh, colloquialism that tock would definitely not say in person um tock will go for the wings first that is a 20.
1: is exactly what you need you are able to separate the wings from the back of the creature you now have two manticore wings in good condition
5: dripping blood set them down and uh, set to work punching out its teeth. <laughs> oh my god. You just see him hold the head like on the side and the, the, the fist just like steamroller just 26.
1: You're able to get a dozen teeth out of the manticore's head by simply punching it in the mouth repeatedly. They're, they're worth, in total, to combined. they're worth about one gold, but they can be good for serration, serrated edges.
5: Many. Perhaps these would make arrowheads.
3: That's not a bad idea.
5: Yeah, I like that, thanks. A manticore is a magical being. Perhaps they could be imbued.
3: Definitely worth considering. While is doing this, can I just keep half an eye on the thing that the manticore was savaging, just to make sure that there isn't any zombie movement?
1: Of course, can you give me a perception check, please?
3: Six. I'm confident that it is very much dead.
1: <laughs> you are confident that it is dead. Vanda, obviously, is naturally looking around the area to keep track of things, and he does notice something. With Tok skinning and butchering and punching the manticore corpse, there is a gentle rustling almost imperceptible to the northeast from behind a small mound of pebbles and stones. Vanda, as you look up, you can see a baby manticore slowly working its way around. It's looking in the direction of the manticore corpse and is gently pawing at the ground and walking in a circle.
3: Oh, well this doesn't feel good.
4: Gentlemen, I believe we have killed the mother and we have just found the child. Vander says while gesturing in the direction of the baby manticore.
2: Augustus takes a step away and turns his back as if he didn't see any of this. It's got nothing to do with it. He's not face punching a dead manticore.
1: Augustus, you hear a gentle meowing coming in the direction of the baby manticore. I whisper into Bellerophon's little
4: chameleon ear and send him over to investigate to see if they can't communicate.
1: Bellerathon happily trots over to the baby manticore. Oh, he's getting eaten.
5: (laughs) Yeah, I was just going (laughs) to (laughs) say.
1: And at first, the baby manticore looks suspicious of Bellerathon. But as Bellerathon takes a kind of crouching position and moves in an almost hunter's-like pose, the baby manticore mimics it and then jumps, and the two roll, and they appear to be play-fighting together. The the baby manticore obviously in no way a threat to Bellerathon. (coughs)
4: Vander turns to the rest of the group. We're keeping him.
2: Well, I wanted to ask about this. Is 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 this a monster? Like, does it have to be a monster, or is there is it conceivable that we could train it up and you know maybe he'll be on our side?
1: You could definitely train it. It's a baby. However, from behind the baby Manticore, the small mound of pebbles and stones slowly rises upwards and they begin to fall away as a giant insectoid head emerges from below. Its foot-long mandibles snap and grasp the baby and Bellerathon together, and in an instant, the two are swallowed by the creature, which continues to burrow up, reaching a full height of eight feet tall, looking like a cross between a beetle and a gorilla. Its left pincer looks a little bedraggled. As it moves forward, its pincers clicking.
4: Son of a bitch!
1: And we'll end it there.
5: Humans of Dice Company would like to thank the following sweethearts for their support: Richard Gordon, Rabbi Camel, Team Vander, Path Pursuit, Paris Perkar, Julia Zeno, Shovels, Mama Strange, Queenie, Liz Beckett, Axel Runholm, Shay Benton, Chris from North London.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. And now over to our term crier, Alex, for an update on the Dice Company universe.
2: So a few weeks ago, we had a listener letter challenging us on whether we need a team name. And to date, we've still failed to do that. But I wanted to acknowledge some excellent suggestions on our social media. I do most of the social media for the various Dice Company accounts on various platforms. We, we've got a very lovely community of people who comment on lots of our stuff and repost it and engage with all sorts of things we say. Uh, and so we've had some great suggestions for team names. And I wanna particularly co- uh, shout out someone called Shelby Cat. On blue sky, so I'll put some of these names to the crew, and you can tell me if you like any of them. I, I quite like the Soup sayers. Well, I'm obviously in. <laughs> We've got three men and a big robot. <laughs> that's
5: good.
4: Are we just going to have every character loving the one that's about them?
2: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How on
1: brand? <laughs>
2: <laughs> We've got the heroic herons. I like that. I, I quite like. like um, and actually, one of my own. I I thought earlier. I thought about the super herons, like superheroes. And then I thought the soup uh, herons. So it's soup dash E-R and then herons. So it's two puns for the price of one. So basically that's the winner. I saw has suggested the heron addicts. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs)
3: When are we going to do the one that's based on something my character says so that I can say that one's good?
2: There were no suggestions
3: (laughs) Uh,
2: I mean, uh, Dave slash Benny, you'll be happy to hear there's also nothing for me here. (laughs) <laughs> it's, all, it's all about talk and vander, like every episode of this appalling show. I suggested the clean hands gang. <laughs> I'm not sure that's what uh, Dave was hoping for. Oh, and there's one uh, other one that really made me laugh from unseen D4 on Blue Sky, who says, "Team Unstoppable." Oh God, bees! <laughs> <laughs>
4: that one is
3: legitimately oh. <laughs> amazing.
2: <laughs>
4: I really like that one.
1: Yeah. Damn it, Al! What did I tell you? Get Dice Company in front of John Kerry.
2: God, all I want
1: it's always been our game plan since day one as soon as we've got
4: Kerry off the board (laughs) then the rest of the world
2: such a a weird mark for us John
4: Kerry
1: moves the needle of actual play Dungeons and Dragons podcasts
4: (laughs) he's the intersect we've done our research
3: Uh, okay well I should have spoken to him I would just put a post on Blue Sky now just saying anyone know John Kerry
1: (laughs) (laughs) we think he's we think he's important (laughs) because in the lore of dice company he is one run below Damian Lewis (laughs) (laughs) also Tok loves naming things (laughs) barely a second goes by without him naming something
3: I actually have a list of 10 potential names for the sword Uh, you chuck them out and then we can you know reject them and and give it an arbitrary name of our choice (laughs) sword one
5: (laughs) technically it's sword two because it's a replacement
2: uh, then that's top. I, cannot, I know I never remember anything to do with D&D, what did he give me? Firstly, Al, you're in a safe space and you've played D&D before.
0: <laughs> Let's
4: start
2: there. We have all been friends for a long time. <laughs> Is the twist going to turn out to be that I am Papa Angamas? <laughs> <Yeah>. No, no. <laughs> Where do we fall, Bruce? So we can just get better at falling. <laughs> I am the best at falling.
4: Did the Bruce family become like one of the poorest families in Gotham? <laughs>
2: <laughs> is that, is that, like... Sorry, you think they're the Bruce family? You think that kid's called Bruce Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> Bruce Bruce. <laughs> oh, there's gotta be some oh, poor kid
5: somewhere called Bruce psyched. Bruce.
2: <laughs> we are doing all our best stuff off air here.
0: Thanks for listening. Please consider supporting Dice Company on Patreon where for the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to a whole other show, Extra Roll, as well as an ad-free listening experience. The Dice Company Discord server, along with our socials, can be found on our link tree in the show notes. If you enjoyed this chapter, please like and subscribe, and don't forget to recommend us to your friends. If you didn't like it, recommend us to your enemies. And we'll see you next time on Dice Company.